0: Welcome in to the Autzen Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Pramer, Eric Skopel, on the show as always. And it's been a little bit of time since we've done a podcast. March Madness has broken that up a little bit. Uh, Eric and I were thinking about maybe doing one Monday, but with both the men and the women's teams playing at the same day, we felt, hey, it's best. Let's wait for the outcomes. And we'll discuss both on the same show here uh, the day after the first round of the NCAA women's tournament and the second round of the NCAA men's tournament. And boy, Eric, uh, what a performance from both teams. They both advance. We're going to start with the men. They advanced by no contest in the first round against VCU due to COVID protocols within the Rams program. Sets up a matchup two seed Iowa against seven seed Oregon and I'll be honest, like I thought I picked Oregon to win. Uh, I have Oregon making the sweet 16. Um, I was concerned though about how Oregon would stop Luca Garza, the six foot 11 big man and two time big 10 player of the year. And in the first five or six minutes, it was going about how you, you feared, you know, Oregon had no answer for Garza. He, I think he scored 12 of his team's first 16 points he had multiple and ones and you look at this and think boy is Oregon going to be able to consistently score at a high clip to match him because it's a lot easier to score from four feet in than it is to score from the perimeter uh and, and lo and behold Eric Iowa could not play defense they they couldn't guard a chair to quote Jay Billis and Oregon wins 95 to 80. And it was probably one of the best performances we've seen from Oregon this year for sure in the last few years uh, under Dana Altman.
1: Well, you see, you, you, you asked, could Oregon defend Luca Garza? It turns out Iowa couldn't defend anybody for Oregon. Yeah. I mean, it was, I mean, you, you could, there's a two and a half minute clip I saw on Twitter of just dunks and layups. I mean, and, and they were basically all either a fast break uncontested or in the half court. And it's like one dribble move. You fly by your guy. And the reality is Luka Garza might be seven feet, but that guy doesn't, he doesn't exactly protect the rim. He didn't have any shot blocks the entire game. And Oregon gave, you know, had a bunch of shots right at the rim where you're kind of going like, okay, I was just going to let them do this, I guess. And once that starts happening, they have to get out of uh, their man to man. They go to a zone and then Oregon hits 11 of 25 from three. And you, I mean, you mentioned like historically, where does this stack up? And uh, obviously, there have been probably more notable wins in the tournament. I think, you know, in the, in the last decade, more probably more notably, obviously, the game against Kansas and the lead eight, the game against Duke and the Sweet 16. Both of those, by the way, also blowouts against big time programs. But just in terms of like kind of the beauty contest of it, this was this one has to be up there. Um, 95 points, I believe, is the most Oregon has scored in an NCAA tournament game. Yep. It looked like they were going to get to the century mark for a while there, <laughs> um, and I, I mean, actually, it really looked like it at halftime. Um, I mean, <laughs> this was a game where dogs off they did, and this is a game where they scored fifty six points in the first half and gave up forty six, and I thought we're a lot better defensively in the second half too. So, like, I, I think this was basically the best case scenario. And I know I messaged you on Slack. I think I, I don't remember if I tweeted it or not, but my, my takeaway was. I would have the best player on Luca Garza and you can't take that away from him. he had 36 points in this game on 14 of 20 shooting. And he's one of those guys, every time he shoots the ball, it it goes right through the net. Like it doesn't hit any of the rim. It's perfect. And he is a very, very good offensive player, but Oregon clad, I would say probably the next four best, maybe the next five best players in the court. You know, I mean, Duarte Figueroa Richardson and Amarui clearly were the class outside of Garza. And, uh, Boy, was that a fun fun game to watch when it was all clicking. And I think I think the depth and the athleticism really was on display for this team. And you, and you saw why. And I know we're going to talk about this throughout. But you saw why the, we think and have mentioned before that the Pac-12 was woefully underappreciated in this tournament. And it's not just Oregon that's shown up. Everybody else has. But I thought the Ducks going out and just basically handing it to Iowa. Being the better team. I don't think anybody watches that game and comes away. And thinks like if you walk away thinking that those teams are evenly matched, you probably Jameis Winston after no. the, the Rose Bowl <laughs> because it was pretty clear who the better team was. And I think those teams played 10 times. I think Oregon wins eight or nine of them, to be honest.
0: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Um, it was clearly evident Oregon's game plan was, hey, we probably don't have a, a an answer for Luca Garza. So let's turn that into a strength. Let's just have everything funneled to him and just try our best to have him shoot 50 percent. Because if we make him shoot 50% from the floor, but everybody else on the team shoots 15 or 20%, we're going to win. That, that, that was their game plan. And it played out perfectly. Uh, Weisskamp had 17 points on 7 of seven, seven of 17 shooting. When you shoot as many shots as as you finish with points, that's not a good night. That's not an efficient night for you. Three other starters for Iowa didn't score in this yeah. game. I mean that's bonkers. Uh, you you had their bench play significantly better. Uh, the other, the younger McCaffrey brother, he had ten points off the bench for Iowa, but that's about it. Uh, everything went through Garza, and if Garza wasn't scoring, it was it, it was nothing. They got nothing from basically everybody else on the floor. Whereas for the Ducks, they were balanced. They they came from everywhere, and I think. They knew Dana Altman and Chris Duarte both said post game that they felt their advantage was on the perimeter, and Duarte said that they knew that they were quicker and they took advantage of that, and that was evident. I mean, look at the shooting numbers for Oregon's four leading scorers. Uh, Chris Duarte, nine of he scored twenty three points on twelve shots, nine baskets made. Uh, L.J. Figueroa was second on the team. He had twenty one points. He shot just fourteen shots, eight of fourteen. Will Richardson, 19 points, third on the team, 7 of 10. And then Eugene Marui had 17 points, 8 of 15. So he was, he was the closest one to kind of, you know, how many shots you take for points, and he was still above 50%. You had two players on Oregon's roster with seven assists, Will Richardson and Chris Duarte. Uh, that ties Duarte's career high. Uh, you, you have multiple guys with rebounds, uh, multiple guys with steals, Uh, Figueroa had three in this game. It was just an ultimate beatdown, and it sets up now a trip to the sweet 16 Oregon's fourth sweet 16 appearance in the last five NCAA tournaments. I think it was very likely that if last year's tournament was played, the ducks were going to be a sweet 16 team, Uh, but you can't count that. But this is established if if it wasn't already. And it should be that a Dana Altman is a top 10 coach in the country. And B, the Oregon men's basketball program is a top 15 team in the country every year. Doesn't It doesn't matter who's coming back. doesn't matter who left. This is a team every year. You almost pencil them into the Sweet 16 now. And you certainly pencil them into winning a game in the tournament because every year they've done that.
1: I think the thing that to that point is I, I would have expected that Altman and Oregon had a stat. And I, I know the. I know the seeding's based on the net ranking, but like even like even the polls to have Oregon basically not ranked all season as the premier team in the conference. This is a team that won the Pac-12, for crying out loud. And based upon the history and, and how successful this program is, it's almost like, does, is the lack of respect based upon spite? Or was this year just so weird that there wasn't enough non-conference games to really measure the teams? Because I, I look at this team, and I think we felt, I mean, you said it a couple, which I probably now, but closer to three weeks ago, basically that this team is perhaps on par or close to on par with that 16, 17 team, um, which obviously made the final four and, and was, I think a, a two or I think a two, two or three seed that tournament, I think a three seed. Yep. I um, see. and, and I, and I, I I'm in. A, I'm starting to kind of, I mean, I, I don't, I still love that 2016, 17 team. It's hard for me to really put them on par. Maybe this will be another special run that gets that far and, and we'll have to kind of reassess the conversation, but I, I just kind of wonder why there wasn't more respect here and the, throughout the conference. It, you well, just I can tell like, you why
0: there was no respect.
1: Uh, well, get, go ahead, go ahead, lay <laughs> it out for me. Because I I and the reason I said it, it 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 feels like there should be. It feels like if if this was another conference that had another team that has been so dominant over the last half decade that it always makes a run that they would receive a little more respect. Instead, it's like oh, Oregon's the underdog against Iowa, and I you know, it was funny because you looked at the way ESPN had its, I think it's the BPI projections before the game. Oregon was a 13% chance of winning according to that. And I'm going like, I feel like that's malpractice. And I know the numbers are the numbers. I don't know how that's all counted. And again, maybe the COVID impacts some of that, but I just don't understand why this was a surprise to a lot of folks that Oregon would beat Iowa. And really, I don't understand why Oregon was a seven seed considering that they won the conference and what we've seen now from the conference this week. I think if there's one thing you take away, and there's probably a lot, but one of the things you take away is that the Pac-12 really got a raw deal with the way they were seated, and, and now they have four of the 16 teams in this thing, and I don't think any of them are set up as well as they should be to make a deeper run.
0: I can tell you why. The, the Oregon was underseated, and I can tell you why the conference was underseated because they have an absolutely horrific TV deal. They don't get any representation on national media, whether it's TV, print, digital. And then on top of that, meet the NCAA committee. Mitch Barnhart is the chair and director of athletics at Kentucky. He is the chair, uh, for, for the NCAA committee. Okay. So he's in Kentucky. Uh, Mike Bowski is the vice president and director of athletics at Purdue. Tom Burnett is the commissioner of Southland conference, which is in the South Lawrence R Cunningham, director of athletics, North Carolina, Charles McLind commissioner, Southwestern athletic conference. Okay. Southwestern athletic conference. That's probably in New Mexico, right? Maybe Arizona, Alabama, that's where that conference <laughs> is commissioned. Burnett McLeod, Atlantic 10 commissioner. Michael O'Brien, vice president and director of athletics at Toledo in Ohio. Jamie Pollard, director of athletics, Iowa State. Chris Reynolds, vice president of intercollegiate athletics, Bradley University. I believe that is in Ohio as well. Craig Thompson, commissioner, Mountain West Conference. That's your That's your committee. They had one person east, or excuse me, they had one person west, of looks like Iowa on this committee. I mean, that's a joke. That's why, that's why the Pac 12, that's why Oregon, and you you couple that with the with the TV deals playing at 7:30 PM West Coast time on the Pac 12 network with no one gets. This is what we get. We get underseated teams, we get lack of respect. And look, the conference hasn't been elite. Four or five years ago. Okay. But last year's tournament, last year's conference team, they were loaded. They had multiple teams poised for Sweet 16 runs. This year's team, Oregon, USC, and UCLA consistently in the top three of the conference throughout the year. They have NBA players on their rosters. They have good coaches, and they were highly underseated. They weren't ranked for large parts of the year. I mean, Mick Cronin called Oregon a top 10 team and said both Colorado and USC. Were top 20 teams. And I agree with them. And the Bruins are probably a top 20 team too, if they were doing what they did in other conferences. And thankfully the league finally has been able to muster themselves up and play well at at the biggest important times of the year, which is the NCAA tournament setting up a a year where we've got four teams in the PAC 12, eh, four teams from the PAC 12 and the sweet 16 were guaranteed of one because Oregon plays USC and we'll preview that game later on this week. But this is the, the Pac-12. They need to be on the phone right now with Fox, with CBS, with ESPN, with Sports Illustrated, with with Sporting News, every major media outlet out there. They need to be on the phone right now. Get our coaches on. Get our coaches on your shows. Get our coaches on your radio programs. You here's a sit down interview. We need stuff. We you need to we need to be out in the in the full focus. Take your victory lap now and don't wait until next November to prop up, oh, we had four sweet 16 teams. Do it twice.
1: A couple things here um, that I think I wanted to add before we maybe shift to the women's side. Uh, I think first off is I think the the reality is is the Pac-12 from a talent perspective is is as good, if not better, than almost any other conference out there. I think there was a stat I saw but the Pac-12 has the second most players in the NBA behind the ACC, and they have about 20 to 30 more than the Big Ten, the Big 12, and the SEC. I don't, I don't know exactly. I don't know if I have that cited in front of me, but I saw that um, after the opening round of games, and I think that's the part that to me has been frustrating throughout this is that you look at the recruiting rankings, you look at the players that are in the NBA, and it's pretty clear that, like, hey, the Pac-12, year in and year out, puts out really good players, and I don't think you can really argue that. And it doesn't seem like that representation really comes across in the national discussion and the discourse. And I think it just, it doesn't really feel like there's, to your point about the media coverage, it doesn't really feel like there's a big time media person who's on the West coast. Um, And, and, you know, you think about professional sporting leagues and the way that those are constructed. And typically you've got a bunch of people in LA, a bunch of people in New York, some people maybe in the middle of the country for like, that that are covering the leagues, you know, in the NBA you've got a lot of people that are located in LA or bay, or the bay area or you know and, and and they're like the big national people and then there's a bunch in, in New York, etc. but like it feels like with this it's like they're all located in college towns in in quote-unquote the elite conference. They're all in the Big 10 and the Big
0: 12 and the ACC country.
1: Exactly. And so the the discourse is totally different and the Pac-12 has talked about like it's this second class conference and even now, I looked at ESPN and they did a reseeding of. Oh, that's a joke! 16. Absolute joke. And the Pac-12 had its four teams were in the back six of the rankings, um, and it's kind of you just kind of going like, did they not watch the? And it's not just that the Pac-12 won these games; it's that they, they won. They kicked
0: everyone's ass.
1: They won every game by double digit, besides one, in so far, and that includes USC, who I guess is the twelfth or thirteenth best team according to them in Oregon, which is. I believe one, I think it was USC 12, Oregon 13. And it's like, did we not just watch USC beat Kansas by 35 and Oregon beat Iowa by 15? But it was really more lopsided than that for most of the game. Like these are two, these are the two seed and the three seed in that region. And, and those teams just got whooped. And yeah, we've got, and, and once again, it seems like there's no respect. So there's, there's a lot of, it just, it's strange how difficult it is for this conference to get respect. I understand the argument of like, well, these teams didn't have great net rankings, et cetera. But like, the reality is that Evan Mobley is probably the number two or three draft pick in the in the NBA draft yeah. this year. And Oregon's got a roster of, I think you mentioned it, Duarte will probably be a first round pick when all is said and done. Uh, and I think e. Amaroi and, and Lj Figueroa will have at least a shot to get drafted or, or be on an you know at least get, get an G. opportunity Lincoln for sure. They'll get a shot. And I think Will Richardson, whether that's after this year or the, or the next, who will have a chance to be drafted. Maybe not first, but maybe maybe he'll be kind of taken in that range where we saw Dylan Brooks and Tyler Dorsey and Jordan Bell take kind of mid mid second round, which is where you traditionally see those kind of experienced veteran guys go that don't have like immediate elite skill sets. That like a Peyton Pritchard is such a is such a clear offensive skill guy that you go okay he's a little older but he's going to help us somebody right away. We'll take him late first. Where I think Dylan Brooks and Jordan Bell et cetera maybe they didn't have those attributes. I could see a Will Richardson again, which year it is, going like in the mid to late thirties of the second round. So my point being is like, I, I just think this conference is so woefully underappreciated and it's really annoying. And I, I would, I would hope that this conference puts at least a couple teams into the lead eight and like, Hey, you look at this, like the best team in the tournament, everybody says is Gonzaga. Yeah. And obviously I'm a little partial. I went to Gonzaga full disclosure, but like for the pack 12, Maybe the thing to get some respect is if the winner of Oregon USC, and I know we're mm-hmm. gonna talk about this. Yeah, we're gonna talk about more about that game going forward. And there's one other thought I wanted to add before we switch, but if 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 Oregon or USC, the winner of that game beats Gonzaga, ousts them from the tournament, that would be the one thing that I think allows you to to gain some respect, hopefully. And it might pave the way to legitimately winning a national championship. I mean, if you're real with it, because the rest of the brackets are pretty broken up. I mean, there's a lot of one seeds out. Not a lot, but there are teams that are – a lot of the top contenders have already been eliminated, largely because they were from the Big Ten, um, <laughs> which is at a terrible tournament. Um, and and I, I think that would be really – the Pac-12 would – it needs a team to get out of the Sweet 16, out of yeah. Lead 8, into the Final Four, maybe play for a championship to I think fully realize that potential. Cause the, the still, the, it seems like the narrative is like, well, they're doing well this year, but they haven't won a national championship since UCLA and whatever it was, or Arizona or whatever it was back in the nineties. So that would help my, the last thing I wanted to start say before we, we turn over to the women's thing here is, it's just, I don't know. You posted a story. Cause so you're very familiar with it. So you can even pull it out, but Evan Mobley, USC, oh, star, he's-, <laughs> I, I, he's stirring the pot. He's stirring the pot after the game. Uh, A couple quotes here he made um, regarding this matchup, make it, you know, and I'll just say this, like, I don't know if it's wise on his part, but I think it's really fun that we have, I believe I read the first PAC 12 game where both teams are from the same conference in the NCAA tournament. And you've got one of the players spouting off, talking a little crap five days before the game's about to start.
0: It's if Oregon needed any extra motivation, which they don't uh, (laughs) Evan Mobley provided it minutes after they beat Kansas And then on top of that, it just pours gasoline onto this Oregon-USC school rivalry. Like, the jealousy that USC has right now for Oregon is through the roof in football, and it's bleeding over now into basketball. Uh, This is his quote. "Oregon is." He was asked about facing the Ducks, and he says, Oregon is a really good team. They've been on a roll. I don't want to say necessarily they got luck because they are a good team but they stole the Pac-12 championship from us. <laughs> I think we match up well, though. We both have chips against our shoulders because we beat them, and they be- they got the championship from us. I think it will be a great matchup. Not often do you see two Pac-12 schools, number one, and number two match up in the Sweet 16. I think that will be interesting as well. We'll have to execute our game plan like we did tonight and take it to them. I mean – Just nuke this game already, like (laughs) yes, like and and the funny thing is, is Evan Mobley doesn't know this. Okay, but the last time a fellow Pac-12 school or player ran their mouth about Oregon in a postseason win or go home scenario, the next night that team got their ass kicked, and it it was in the Pac-12 tournament in 2019 when Oregon beat Arizona State and the Pac-12 tournament semifinals, and UW senior point guard David Crisp, I think he tweeted, we got what we wanted. And that was a a rematch against Oregon because the Ducks went up to Seattle the, the week before, knocked them out, or just kicked their butts on senior day and ruined that moment for all those seniors. And then what happened, Oregon came in the next night, their fourth game in four nights and destroyed the, the Washington Huskies to win the Pac-12 tournament. David Crisp played an all-time horrible game uh, and Peyton Pritchard had an unbelievable performance. That obviously doesn't translate hundred percent over to this situation, but I can tell you right now, Oregon staff knew of that tweet from the, by David Crisp and the players were made well aware of what was said and what was, made about them going into that game and you talked to them after that game. And it was evident that, Hey, this is a closed door deal. We are going to use this as motivation. We're not even going to acknowledge it publicly. And they didn't. And I expect the same thing. You know, they might get asked before the game. If they win, I'll ask about it after I'm not going to ask before the game. Cause I know what they're going to say, right. but I love it. Personally. We've, we've got so, you know, soak in the fire and Oregon just getting more motivation because they know they played a horrific game against USC. USC played an unbelievable game and kicked the ducks butt. And then there's nothing, nothing to, you know, other things to say about it. And Oregon wants revenge. So, Uh, it'll be fun. We're going to preview that game more length later on this week, but we got to get to the women as well. Uh, A game in which I had some, some doubts going into this one, Eric, you had some doubts as well. Maybe not as much as I did, but nonetheless, what a performance after being off for so long, having some injuries. Uh, They play the 11 seed South Dakota. And I turned the game on and kind of keep eyes on it a little bit in the first quarter, come back in the second quarter. And it's like, Oh, dear Lord. I think South Dakota, they scored one point in the second quarter and Oregon wins 67 to 47. Just an utter beatdown by the Ducks.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, I'm trying to think of the right way to describe this without being really mean about how South Dakota played, because a team misses 25 straight shots to close a half. And it's just really hard to really say anything very nice, but it was a game where you give Oregon a lot of credit because they needed a get right game and usually you don't want to you know save those moments for the NCAA tournament because this is when literally the best teams are all playing and South Dakota has been one of the best teams in the country the last three years. I think they've got like a 81% win percentage since 2017 and 18. Um, This is a really, really strong program and Oregon had this game over midway through the second quarter, basically, Um, you know, and obviously the game got to, I think, 16 points sometime in the third quarter and but never was it Oregon never had to sweat it. And that was in large part because of the defensive effort. I mean, this is a game where it starts out fairly competitive and it's four, four, you know, four, six early on in the first couple minutes of the game. Oregon goes on a huge run and. You look up and you realize. I mean, it was it was kind of hard to believe because the scoreboard was stuck at eight points for South Dakota for thirteen plus minutes, <laughs> thirteen plus minutes before they got from eight to nine points. They didn't get to double figures till the second half. They scored one point in the entire second half, or sorry, entire second quarter. Um, I believe they were zero for twenty-one in that quarter. Um, just woeful offense. And then, and the flip side, Oregon had a great first quarter offensively. Um, and everything kind of clicked and this is a game that they really really needed they made 10 of 13 shots in the first quarter scored 25 points in that one. Second quarter wasn't quite as good only scored nine points there but either way plenty plenty of of room and separation created early in this game in the first half Oregon able to basically coast in the second half and I think if there's a criticism to be had it's the fact that they didn't build this more in the second half and in fact South Dakota outscored them um, 38 to 33 in the second half. Um, And that's, that would be, if you want to come up with a a criticism, that would be, is the fact that, Hey, you had this team down and, and you didn't really completely build off it in the second half. And in fact, South Dakota scored nine points in the entire first half and scored 20 in the third and 18 in the fourth. So they clearly found some stuff in the second half, but regardless, it didn't really matter. Oregon won handily. And now I think, you know, I'm not going to say that they've got this figured out because I want to see them play a team in Georgia that is a little bit more similar to the teams that gave Oregon difficulty in Pac-12 play. And I think the the reason I'm... like Obviously, you feel really good about a 20-point win in the NCAA tournament, period. No one's going to discredit that. I think the thing where I want to just see how they play against Georgia in this next game to really have an idea for where this team's at if they've turned a corner is because part of me goes... Maybe what, maybe what transpired here is we just kind of overlooked the fact that the Pac-12 is really, really good, and the elite teams in the Pac-12 are, are elite teams, and that Oregon State became one of those teams, and they certainly looked like it in their game uh, early on in the NCAA tournament. And maybe those four teams that beat Oregon, and remember, it was just four teams that beat Oregon this entire season, the same four teams beat Oregon twice each. Maybe it was just Oregon just wasn't able to beat those teams, but that they're going to be capable of beating – teams from other conferences who may, maybe there is a step down and I think I, I think it was pretty clear to me that if South Dakota which plays in the Summit League which won this reg, you know it's won is conference tournament which only lost five games which was dominating down the stretch a program that went 30 and 2 the year before and, and was really considered a kind of like a dark horse team to make a Final Four run they just aren't anywhere near the same level as the Pac-12 and that if South Dakota played in the Pac-12 they'd probably be like a a Colorado USC team that maybe finishes back half of the conference, probably not like last or anything, but like not that they're, they're, just talent level. Wasn't quite there. And Oregon dominates this game and you come away going, Hey, sounds like a plan. They took care of business. They did it. They won handily, but now let's go see if they can do it against a little better competition and doing an early scout on Georgia. Um, certainly. And, and they'll play that game on Wednesday at noon. For those listening that haven't seen that game's going to be on ESPN two. Um, so during your lunch hour, you might be able to flip it on and watch a little bit. If you're working from home, like I am, you're going to watch the whole thing. But, uh, I think it's going to be very telling to see how Oregon responds now against a team that looks a little bit more like the the pac 12 schools that gave them difficulty this year in conference play.
0: Some positives from this game, uh, Aaron really got going 22 points, nine of 13 shooting four of six from three. She also had four assists, which is a really good number three steals, which is a really good number. Uh, Sedona Prince had one of her better performances before she fouled out of that game, 12 points, seven rebounds, three assists, two blocks, three steals and 26 minutes. Uh, And you also got a really good performance from Sobley. 17 points, five rebounds, three assists, two blocks, one steal. Uh, It was evident Oregon's size combined with their athleticism was the difference in this game against South Dakota in my eyes. Yeah. Um, and now they turn to a team in Georgia who was the three seed. They play Wednesday, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here,
1: three o'clock, right? Yeah, it's I think I believe it's noon West Coast, three o'clock East.
0: Okay. So about 24 hours from the time this podcast is released, uh, the women will play in their second round game. The question for me becomes: will that size and that athleticism combination will it play as big of a factor? Today th- in that game against Georgia to give them a chance to advance to the Sweet 16 for what the third straight year fourth straight year
1: yeah if, yeah if you wipe out yeah it would be their fourth straight tournament that they would be there same kind of deal where obviously they didn't play last year but they yeah they won Elite Eight Elite Eight Final Four and then last year's ten- tournament got canceled um, really quickly you know I'll have full content up on DuckTerritory.com in terms of previewing Georgia but Georgia is an interesting team um, they are much closer to an Arizona, UCLA, Arizona State, USC from the Pac-12 in terms of they have quick athletic guards that will get up in you. And that part, I think, has to make you a little nervous. I and mean, we even saw against South Dakota, Oregon's primary ball handlers in this game were Taylor Mike Sell and Maddie Shear. Jess Shelley is not available. Tina Papel is not available. Taylor has only played 13 minutes. She's de- dealing with an injury. So they kind of came down to those two players. And they had eleven combined turnovers. Oregon turned the ball. Oregon won by twenty points. They turned the ball over twenty three times in this game.
0: That's pretty wow. remarkable to so that. <laughs> That's a
1: pretty. I mean, that sort of speaks to how poorly South Dakota played. This was, or yep. Oregon shot the ball really well. I mean, sixty percent from the field. Their big three of Saboli, Bully, and Prince missed a combined like eight shots from the field. Sorry, nine shots from the field the entire game. Um, and and combined to score fifty one of sixty seven points. I mean, those players were really on their games, but. I think the thing that would concern me here is can the athleticism, the speed, the quickness of the Georgia backcourt? And again, these are small guards. I was looking at they're starting backcourt five, six, five, seven, five, ten. Um, that's very short. Oregon it goes like five ten, five, eleven, six, one in its starting backcourt. Oregon's got about four or five inches across the board on the opposition, but that speed and quickness, these are kind of like a little bit like Mignon Moore guards. You know, Oregon fans will recognize that name. These quick little guards they can get underneath you, really good defenders, force a lot of turnovers. That could be problematic. The other side to the side of this is that I think if Oregon is able to get this in the half court and kind of replicate what it did against South Dakota, where it got the ball in the paint, I think Oregon can have some success. They have a size advantage that's pretty significant too in the post. Like Georgia's a athletic team, but not a very tall team. I think they go they're like six three, six four up front. Oregon's six five, six seven. So there is a possibility, I think, if this game can be played a little bit more in the half court where Oregon makes it difficult on Georgia offensively. Georgia's best offensive player is their center. Um, you know, She's six, six foot four. So I have still have her name pulled up in front of me here. I think I've still got it uh, Yeah, Jenny Stady, six, four, 4 center. She averages about 15 points a game. Um, they have a size advantage there. We just saw Hannah Shervin for South Dakota, their leading score. She's about the same size, six, three, six, four. Have a terrible offensive game against Oregon. She went six for 19 from the field. This is somebody who's shooting in the 50s to 60 range coming into it. She had a hard time against Oregon's size. Maybe this is a game where it gets in the half court, and if it gets in the half court and it stays there and there aren't, it doesn't come down to who's in transition, I think Oregon has a really good shot just because if they can get – I think they can win in the paint. But Mike – and they honestly have a better three-point shooting team. George's not a great three-point shooting team. It's the question of if this becomes a track meet and Georgia full court presses this Oregon team and they turn the ball over a bunch, that's where this game could flip. And that would be where I would have a concern in this matchup. I think straight up, if this is played in the half court, Oregon has a really good chance to advance. But we've known and we've seen, even with Pow Pow in the lineup, their best point guard is a team that has a propensity to turn the ball over. And we saw it against South Dakota 23 times, turning it over 11 from your primary ball handlers. That has to be a lot better.
0: One, one thing I wonder is where is like every, every tournament we get a kind of out of nowhere performance from somebody. Yeah. Um, like, and it, and it lifts gonna and it lifts a team up to like, when you make deep runs, you you have a game in which a reserve or maybe that fifth best starter just goes off, you know, and, and kind of carries you. That's going to have to happen. I think for Oregon to beat Georgia and you're, you're going to get good stuff from, from Bowley. You're going to get good stuff from Sabley. Uh, Sobley. I feel pretty good of, about um, ta- uh, Sedona Prince also giving you good production. Who's going to be that fourth person? Is it, is it Mike? Scal? Is it Prince or Maddie? Sure. Excuse me. Is, is it Chavez maybe off the bench is there that person you feel like that that's capable of being that that fourth big big-time production player?
1: I think the two names that would stand out for me most right now, and I'm kind of discounting Chavez because I think her injury, if she's only going to play 13, 15 minutes, it's kind of hard for her to take on that big of a role. I look at Taylor Mikesell as the obvious one, right? She's somebody who has shown the ability to make big shots. If she gets it going from three, like straight up, there's Oregon will will probably win this game unless they are just getting run out of the gym in terms of turning it over. Right. And George is feasting in transition. She is a very capable jump shooter. She didn't really hit very many shots against South Dakota. She only took three shots. She was the primary ball handler. She actually had more turnovers than, than field goal attempts, which is not an ideal situation, but hey, it is what it is. And I think the sneaky one would be Sydney Parrish. She was kind of the the primary player off the bench, I mean, Oregon really only played six players significant minutes in this game. Chavez played 13, but outside of that, it was the starting five plus Parrish and Parrish played 24 minutes. Parrish has had a propensity, has had these moments where she comes out and just has big scoring games. I think she has three to four games where she scored like 15 to 18 points this year. I could see a game where maybe she's the one that steps up and and she is going to be, Along with Aaron Bowley, I think kind of a matchup problem for Georgia because I mentioned the size there. Uh, Georgia's got a lot of smaller perimeter players. Parrish and Bowley are both like 6'1", 6'2". They should be able to shoot over these smaller players. Maybe, maybe it's a, a situation where Parrish gets it going, either from three or mid-range or can get to the rim. But I would think she would be the other one to kind of keep an eye out for there really aren't – I mean, I think Maddie Shear we saw against South Dakota. She played fantastic defensively. I think she was a big part of why South Dakota had a hard time scoring early. She forced a lot of turnovers, had two steals, just a really good defender on the perimeter. Not a great offensive player, and you saw that. I think she missed four shots in that game, and I, at least two of them were air balls. Um, she's probably not going to be the source of that offense, and I just don't know if there's anybody else I'd look at that I think realistically can do that. They're not really playing – Dugalich, Watson, or, or Giomi enough, um, and, and like I said, Chavez is. I don't know exactly how many minutes she's good for. She'd be a good. I mean, if, if she if if she was fully healthy, I'd probably throw her name in there. But um, to only play 13 minutes in that game and, and only take one shot, it kind of I kind of raises the eyebrows of kind of like maybe maybe she's not quite ready to take on that big of a role. But I do agree with you, Matt, that like Morgan probably needs to find a third or fourth reliable option. And I say third or fourth because it feels like bully and Sobley are pretty reliable. And with Sedona Prince, it kind of feels like as long as she is able to get going. And I think she has a shot because again, the defenders are a little smaller. She's certainly capable. They're coming into foul trouble with her. She did fall out of this game and, and she's had foul issues all season. Um, it does seem like she's getting closer to fully healthy and offensively. Boy, she's really a, an, an effective player five for six in that game. A couple of them were were deep jump shots. Um, I I look at her and think she can be a key player. Maybe, you know, maybe we're talking about her as a reliable one. Maybe she's the player that really elevates in this game because she goes for like 25 and she has just a big game that kind of takes people by surprise. Um, I think she's a bit of a a wild card here in this one just because she does have that capability of just going off. And I don't know if George is going to have the size to really defend her that way.
0: It's going to be interesting to see play out for the women. We'll have full coverage of that on duckterritory.com leading up to the game from Eric in game, and then also post-game reaction. And we will discuss the outcome of that performance. And hopefully we are talking more Oregon women's basketball into next week. uh, When we do the Friday show talking about Oregon sweet 16 matchup against uh, USC in the men's tournament. So we'll have recaps of both preview of the men recap of the women what's next for them hopefully it's a season that continues and until then you've been listening to the odds and audibles podcast talk to
1: you later folks